Hey, folks, welcome to The Crude Life. We're going to get to the exclusive interview in just about 10 seconds. But first, I want to tell you about an American Energy Worker Special. If you go to MyPillow.com and insert the promo code OTIS, that's O-T-I-S, you can get an amazing deal right now on a six-piece towel set made with USA cotton for $39.99. It's a $110 value, yours for only $39.99 with the promo code OTIS. The six-piece towel set plus many other exclusive amazing deals at MyPillow.com. Just use the promo code OTIS. Please enjoy this exclusive interview. John Mark Cavett, uh, CEO of Rigger, and um, uh, Mike Check. Thank you very much for joining the program here today. We're going to talk a little bit about the market, but also we wanted to find out about your background as well. Because for me, you know, it was interesting because, you know, I, I come from publishing, and actually, uh, that's how I made my way through the media. And then, of course, the whole digital revolution and everything. But what we always found interesting when we'd meet with a publisher of a newspaper who was essentially the CEO, uh, what, did they come up from ad sales? Did they come up from circulation? Did they come up from editorial? Because a lot of times that was the way that the ship was d- directed, you know, the, the newspaper. So I always find it interesting to find out backgrounds of CEOs and presidents to just to see, you know, kind of wh- where, you know, the, the company's uh, direction kind of comes from and et cetera. So you mind sharing your background a little bit? Yeah, well, so interestingly enough, I came, uh, I was a chemistry teacher in oh. Midland High School <laughs> and, so, and, uh, and a youth pastor. And um, I uh, was not married and... Uh, finally found uh, the perfect woman and I just felt like I needed to make a little more money. And then I, I was, you know, I loved being a teacher. And so a couple of students said they knew that I was looking to get out and make a little more money. And so they said, Hey, you need to talk to my dad. His name was Mike Meyer and he ran a well testing company. And so he hired me and, uh, and through sales and, you know, kind of making a long story short, I, I, I we got acquired uh, I did really well, well, and then I, you know, I I moved on and even started uh, my own company with private equity, and built uh, with a great team of people, uh, Covenant Testing Technologies, uh, which was essentially one of the, uh, at the time um, one of the largest well testing flowback companies, and then um, and then I moved on from there uh, a couple of years ago, and. Uh, really believe in the technology side of oil and gas and especially digitization of of the OFS sector is, you know, really behind and uh, bumped into rigor and, you know, we kind of, it's kind of love at first sight. And so uh, Michael, the founder asked me if I would, uh, if I'd lead the U S side and, and, um, and it's just, you know, it's been a great experience. They're just fantastic people. And so that's how I made my way over to rigor. Well, it's interesting how you have um, an education or, you know, a, a presentation, if you will, background, you know, whether it's from the, the teaching side of things or whether it's from being a youth pastor, there's a certain draw that there's an education component behind that. And I'll tell you what, that is today's CEO. That is, I mean, that's the person that's got to go out and educate the masses on either why their product or their service is going to be useful for them. But a lot of times, and you probably know this, so much of the day is going to conferences and going to, whether it be classrooms or presentations or keynote speaking and that sort of thing, a lot of that is the CEO's job too. So um, I don't know if that made sense to you or not. but 
Yeah, I mean, so, you know, be, I think empathy, uh, EQ and empathy are are key traits in our uh, in, in the world right now that that have true benefit and at the executive level, both as first and foremost for employees, you know, as we've moved to more of a millennial uh, group of folks and that have just different needs as employees, it's, you know, gone are the days where you just issue out marching orders and, and everybody just kind of follows them just because the boss said so. So you really have to have that empathetic listening ear. And so in understanding the needs of your, your stakeholders and truly knowing that. And so people with that skill set have a tendency to do much better and build better companies. Um, but those are the same people that are running the companies that are our clients. And so they, they, um, you know, by clients, uh, so a lot of times they, they already, they, they know what they want and you just have to have that listening ear instead of telling them what they want. They, they know what they want and they have a vision and it's there. You're there to, to have a listening ear, to be empathetic to their needs and their, their pain points and try to offer a product and service that solves those things. Uh, instead of just being the guy that has the answers all the time, uh, you, know, you gotta ask a lot of questions. And, um, and so I think that comes from the background. I probably learned more from, you know, being a teacher um, and, you know, a, a young entrepreneur too. I had several businesses, small businesses growing up um, and, uh, and even my work at a church, it's just, uh, it's a servant mentality. Um, instead of uh, being served, so to speak. Well, I think there's a solution-basedness behind it too. You know, the, there's a there's a servitude, there's an a, a assistance part of it, but some of it is driven by you know figuring out solutions, whether it be puzzles or you know whatever it might be. And that's I think kind of interesting with the chemistry side of things that you have. But then also from the youth pastor, I've got, I've got, uh, I was an altar boy and a Sunday school teacher. And I went to, a, I, I joke because I was Catholic. And so I was spoon fed, you know, fear and guilt my whole life as a altar boy and as a, <laughs> as a, and everything. But, but being part of that was, you know, there was a certain satisfaction in, in helping people with problems, you know, and so there's a solution behind that as well. So to me, I find it interesting that you gravitated towards the digitization of the oil field because that is the next solution for oil and gas right now. That is, you know, come hell or high water, cook or by crook, they got to do it. And um, so it's interesting that you're brought in more of a, you know, you have this awareness education background, but then also this passion or this, you know, to me, it seems this core that you want to, you know, solutions or truth or uh, sustainability, I guess, because that at the end of the day is what we're talking about. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, as we've had significant margin compression in the OFS side, there is, uh, there's no longer this latitude to just hire people to fix problems. You really have to put in systems and processes and there's leakage, you know, there's, uh, there's leakage across your, your, your income statement and, you know, that quarter of a point here, that half a point there and, the, the wider net that you cast over your operations and gather this data and are able to look at it in real time, the, the more likely that you are to increase your profitability and, uh, and cash flow. You know, there's still companies, you know, right now in our space that are just cash flow negative, that are, that are OFS companies, that they're going to run out of money. 
at some point. And so, um, and then many others are, are barely cash flow positive. And there are a few bright spots and you even see them in some of the public, um, you know, the, the best run companies out there like Schlumberger and, and Halliburton, the big ones, of course, you know, they're public. And so they're, they're posting their results, but you know, they, they've digitized a long time ago. And that's one of the reasons they're even more competitive now than they ever were because, you know, they're really able to harness the power of their, their organization and make money with it. Um, so, you know, smaller companies, uh, uh, have got to catch up with that. You know, and, and a lot of them have, I mean, I'm not saying companies haven't done it, but, but certainly so it's time for, for everyone to do that. Um, it, it's just a matter of time before it catches up with, with folks. And, and I don't think anybody disagrees, uh, but you know, we've come out of a long winter here. And so, uh, yeah. people are just now kind of thinking, Hey, okay, it's time to think about how we can improve our business. Cause it was survival mode for well, we've, the last 18 months or so. I can tell you, we've already started and we're going to start full bore next week in August, uh, preparing for 2022. So like, we're going to start yeah. our 2022 marketing next month because, mm-hmm. Uh, people need to start thinking of it for next year already. But uh, I, I did want to ask you one thing. Do you guys do like consultations and that sort of stuff? I mean, I don't know if you guys charge for it or anything along those lines, no, but we, go ahead. We have a, you know, we're like any other software company, you know, the, you, you get, a, you get to talk to us pretty much for free. I mean, we, yeah, we okay. spend a lot okay. of time with you visiting about it and kind of tailor making a decision uh, most of the time for free. We do have a consulting service that, you know, we offer yeah. uh, and we consider ourselves more, um, op, you know, digital optimizers more so than a software company. And so while rigor is our product, there's many other things that we're able to do. Um, dashboards, we can use even other current systems that you have and, and digitally optimize your, your, your spreadsheets if we need to. But, you know, rigor is, is primarily the platform that we that we kind of go by and market. Yeah, and but what I was kind of thinking here is that what you talked about, you know, the bigger companies, the Baker Hughes and the Halliburtons, and those guys, they're 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 going to be around, and you know, and, and they're they're going to go through their transitional energy and all that other stuff. It's the smaller companies that are a little bit afraid right now to do anything, and I've and I've seen this before, by the way, because I come from publishing. And we went through this in 2009 where, you know, for me personally, I invested a quarter million dollars in the internet and didn't get back five bucks. So that, that's when my business went under. And so I, I see when people are sitting on their hands afraid to do things. So what I'm trying to tell oil companies right now, especially when it comes to the digital world, and especially if they can get somebody that'll, you know, give them some free advice at least, uh, you got to do it because the world's changing and your company might not look the same next year. And that's okay because what this digitization is going to do is it's going to open up new opportunities that you didn't even think of before. And that's, that, that's what I think people need to understand. And if I'm wrong, tell me. But that, that's where I think the big opportunity for a lot of these smaller companies are is that once they open up the digitization, they're going to get new opportunities to create new revenue centers. Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and you know, I don't think that the leadership of OFS has ever been more sophisticated than it is today. They're 
much better informed. There's there's a lot more availability of market information. You know, people are not are not blind to to what they need to do, and so I think it's just a matter of of doing it and finding the right partner to do that with. And you know, as our spaces actually become more and more crowded with with competition, you know, it's because there's been this vacuum for such a long time, and um, so. So people know uh, they're sophisticated. They know they need to make these changes, and um, and I think in the next two to three years, you'll see a, a big shift in that way. And um, and it does. It frees up a lot. It allows people to make data-driven decisions. Creates a lot of transparency with the ownership of the company, and um, um, and ultimately helps you provide better customer service and a better, safer product to your end user. Well, we've been, you know, preaching the message for, well, geez, our second article is, well, our first article was that uh, this is, actually was our first article. This is not an oil boom. It's a technology boom. And this was back in 2012, 2011. That was our first article we did for the newspaper um, when we started the crude life. And I can't remember that or if it was the shovels and picks, you know, the people who are selling the shovels and picks are the ones that are making the money in the uh, gold boom. And same thing out here in the, in, in, in the oil, oil boom was that, you know, it's not the oil companies, it's going to be the service companies, that sort of thing. So anyway, um, so we've been, you know, touting this for a while about this technology play, this and that. And so I, when we've been saying this for about the last six months that folks, not to be chicken little here, but next year you're probably going to be in reactive mode because the now they've been talking about 2022 as the uh, uh, date for the new you know ESG reports from the SEC being finalized, now, and they're trying to ramp up some new things with the carbon uh, Paris Agreement to 2030, and just there's. We're getting to the point now where, where technology, you know, we've been going on 15 years with technology and the oil boom now. And so this might be the last year, folks, to where you can get a handle on things because next year it might be reactive time. So I'm not trying to be chicken little, but at the same time, I do want to set, put out there, there should be a sense of urgency. And I think what you said about the, you know, the quick glut of competition coming into the marketplace validates that, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean that's and that's from outside of the industry. Actually, you've got some Silicon Valley backed uh, groups that have have entered the space, and so they obviously see merit yeah. and uh, growth opportunities. And, and you know, twenty twenty two, you know, we're going to see an increase in rig count production. And you know, if the price of oil stays stable and uh, we don't have a big surprise with with uh, you know re quarantining because of the Delta variant, then yeah, I think everybody's pretty bullish on 2022, where where we kind of have a uh, the part of the cycle where people are making money, and a lot of times when people start making money, they kind of forget uh, about their old problems, and and um, so you know I think now is the time. Personally, it, the second half of 2021 is to prepare for that that growth, so that you don't have to scale up your SGNA once that you start seeing an increase in activity. I think that's really where the the hardship lies. It's just the pricing will not recover as quick as the cost do. And so this is a way to proactively prevent that escalation of SGNA costs. And you know, 
and whether it's you know hopefully with rigor or with some other competitor you know i'd love to see the ofs sector become a lot more digitized uh, than it is today now you guys do oil field equipment rental software field service management software digital field tickets plus you've got your mobile oil field suite uh those are just four of them that i'm you know off the top of my head type thing is there any one of those different areas that you guys are kind of pushing for next year or or is i mean i'm sure they all have value but you know i mean it's is there an entry entry well, level for people to, to kind of look at things? Or? Yeah, so it starts with it starts with going in and digitizing your your field ticketing uh, side of things. So so many people they have their accounting system, and then they have some version that's manually driven, you know, either through Excel or trying to do it through their accounting system to go out there and and bill the customers. You have to get these tickets approved at the field level and so digitizing that process can save days or weeks off of your dso and really increase your liquidity and so we find that's the place to start and then it is um the next step is really in how you are tracking your your assets and so you know where are these assets what kind of revenue are they generating and, and really tracking your revenue and where is it coming from and when and what your true utilization of your assets is, that assets are. That way you're able to, to really understand what your return metrics are and start to become uh, really um, competent in understanding your, your unit economics. And then we, you know, we think personnel, tracking um, personnel costs, exactly where those, those people are working, you know, how often they're working, and being able to to truly optimize your personnel and then of course beyond that it's going to be um, really tracking all your costs then so um, every po making sure it goes to the right job making sure that every cost in the shop is tracked to a particular job if you can so you really understand your job costings you know where you're making money and how much money you're making on each job and not having to do a lot of work pulling information together. It's not a guessing game. That way you have real-time data, exactly what your revenue is, what your costs are, and, you know, and drill those down as to granular as, granular as you want to, to be. And so, so every manager of the company, depending on the level of responsibility they have, has real-time access to that data. So they know what their costs are. They know what their price can be because they know what their costs are. And, and, um, Man, it's just, it, it makes the most sense in the world. It's executing that. It's not really that expensive to do so. It's just about having the gumption to go and do it is really all it takes. Well, I think that's the big, is fear. You know, how does how does somebody get over that fear? I mean, is it, uh, are they afraid of downtime? I guess, what, what are some of those fears that you're hearing or some of the pushbacks or obstacles or roadblocks? Well, I, th- I think, the it's the the fact that they have an entrenched culture that maybe they don't even know where their assets are number one well if you're a change and, you're not a kid and that's that probably is the oil industry's biggest achilles heel yeah yeah it's very hard to embrace 
new technology for for any industry, but but uh, specifically oil and gas. If it doesn't look and feel like the way we've always done it, it's very difficult to 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 transition into that without some sort of powerful external force. And so, um, but so when the clients actually start demanding electronic ticketing, then you're going to see everybody move to electronic ticketing. Now they already demand electronic invoicing, which is not the same thing, but it's the, once they demand the, the, um, the ticket, the, the field ticket be completely digital, then everybody will move there. So it's a lot of times it's driven by the client. But think about it. The clients actually don't want that. They necess- they, they absolutely want to shave off several days of their um, or add several days to their DPO if they can without actually adding it to their balance sheet. Meaning if they can prevent the company from billing them for two or three weeks by, by sort of just delay tactics and keeping it all very manual, well, that's, that's them using the service company's um, money to finance their operations. And so they haven't rushed into digitizing the field ticketing for that reason. Looking at the clock as we kind of wrap up here, what is the one thing that you think CEOs or business owners or anybody who's the decision maker when it comes to these types of uh, uh, digital decisions, I guess we'll just call it, what should they be thinking about as they get ready for their meetings, you know, coming up? It really anytime starting in September till the end of the year, of course, October, November are, are when they're the busiest, but what should the people be thinking about? Well, you know, there's many things to think about as you start planning your next year. You're thinking about safety. You're thinking about your revenue. You're thinking about your EBITDA. You're thinking about your capital plan, but, but, but not, putting that where are we on the spectrum of digitization into into your planning process is to me a fatal error in which that CEOs will eventually be replaced with the CEO that is thinking about that because there's so many wins and there's so much data that out there and they're not making data-driven decisions and so that must be a pillar in which that every company is able to, you know, understand their business so that they can truly make objective decisions um, about about what to do next in such a margin compressed environment. So, I think that's sort of the message. You know, we here at Rigor are, are absolutely, you know, we're passionate. We have a very passionate team that is, uh, you know, all over the world, but um, primarily in Canada and the U.S. Uh, we love to see companies succeed and thrive because of digitization. And we have many case studies that we've seen companies save hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars because of digitization. And so, you know, we love to partner with and, and share in that success with you. So give us a call.